0: So, this restart series this is the last part of our little three part opening New Year series restart. Some of this, I guess, just in case we weren't around, we started with this idea of the holy life. That was our opening. We talked about what it was. We knew the term would be intimidating to a lot of people. You know, it's, it's, it kind of has a, a bulkiness to it now, it's not used. It, it's sometimes, even for some people, kind of scary. We talked about what holiness is and how important it was to think about it as as aligned, but also embedded in the love of Jesus, the expansive love of Christ. So we spent a lot of time talking about what it looks like and how we can live it out. Then we laid the groundwork for what we called the called life. That was last week. We talked about how the called life is connected to the cross and a cross. How if we're really serious about following Jesus, there are going to be times when we're carrying a cross of sorts. We're struggling. We talked about how if there was nothing that a person was actually struggling with in regards to their faith to try to surrender, yield, wrestle with, that the likelihood was that we were not being, according to Jesus, a sincere follower. We're either perfect or we're actually trying to learn how to grow. Um, and the truth is, all of us have areas that God wants us to grow in. Not all, none of us have this all the way down. Having said that, there's also this idea of the transformed life. And that's where we want to sit with this morning. We want to talk about, as we move into the the, afternoon, we want to talk about what it means to to be transformed in Jesus. And so you have the the holy life, the called life, and the transformed life. Now, the word itself, and you can see in your handout, we've got a couple of spots where transformed is mentioned. But the word itself (coughs) means to change the form. In the original Greek, uh, it's the same root word that we get metamorphosis from. It's the idea of change, meta, form, shape, morpho. This idea of change, I guess um, most of us understand that, uh, well, I know the Lord wants us to change, but maybe the classic example of metamorphosis is is the the caterpillar, right? Metamorphosizing into a, a beautiful, moth or butterfly. I threw in the moth, because a lot of times the moth gets left out in the analogy, and I feel like they deserve a little bit of help, too. And some of them are actually quite pretty. So it's the idea of transforming into the moth or a butterfly, right? And the point being is that it has to do with change, it has to do with emerging, it has to do with becoming. And I think we all, I don't know if we all do, but I hope we can understand that when we come to follow Jesus, we're essentially essentially embarking on a transformative journey, that it's intended to dramatically change and alter us from the inside out, that God really does want us to become a, a very different kind of person, a person who looks more like Jesus, so that it affects how we think about ourselves. It affects how we love key people in our lives. It affects how we relate. It affects how we work, how we, the quality of work we do, the way we interact with the people we work with. All those things matter. And the the Lord's will is that we would increasingly reflect the reality of Jesus in all of those areas of our lives. He wants us to be a growing people. And so the biblical understanding of transformation has a lot to do with spiritual growth and development that shows up in the way we live and love and relate, the way we negotiate life. Now, I was thinking about a verse that I first memorized when I was just a boy. Uh, Well, I was a teenager at the time. And uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, which captures a lot we just talked about, says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, he or she is a, is a new creation, right? Old things start to pass away. Pass away, behold. That's the language of the Old King James or the New King James as well. Behold, all things become new. I was like that. Well, look at this, right? Look at the new things God is doing. Now, the truth is, when we come to Jesus, really, sincerely, for the first time, and I've watched this happen in the lives of a lot of people. And I watched to some degree in my life, although it was a little bit different, because I, was, I kind of grew up around things. And so it wasn't quite as profound, but I still recall certain things that really changed when I opened up my life and heart to Jesus. But I've watched. Sometimes when someone comes to the Lord, it is stunning. It is miraculous. It's like an instantaneous change occurs. People outside immediately recognize, like, what happened to you? Certain things of our past just fall away, almost as if, like, we thought they would, ne- they would always be with us. And all of a sudden, they're healed. Certain habits we've acquired. All of a sudden, we have this newfound power to get past them. There are certain things that start to ha- When we read the Bible, it's so different. All of a sudden, we're reading and it's saying different things to us. All of a sudden, we're learning. We have a hunger. We have a desire. Certain things start to change. It's remarkable what happens. But one of the things I've also noticed, and this happens sometimes in a, in a, for those who are new believers, it sometimes is difficult. Because a lot of times what we'll find is that even though there are some things that just like miraculously or there's this power that we didn't have, our healing takes place, like we're just set free in a certain area, there are other areas where that doesn't happen as as much. And we kind of start realizing that, wow, this is something that is going to stay with me for a while. And I'm going to have to learn how to struggle through this. This transformation is going to actually be a process in my life. And sometimes that's very discouraging, because someone's going, well, I came to Jesus, and why isn't everything? Because there are some, I, I don't know 100% why. I have, I have my suspicions why, and we'll talk about that. But all that I can say is a lot of times when we find that there are going to be some things in our lives that, listen, we may, for our entire Christian life, we may have certain areas that we struggle with, whereas there are certain other areas that we have experienced stunning breakthrough in that can only be attributed to the power of God at work in our lives but yet there are some things that we go man I'm going to probably I'm going to probably have this as an issue and it's going to cause me to need God's grace all the days of my life and that's okay in fact one of the things I want to say is that I actually think there are some real positives and that's, maybe, and that's not even the best word to use. There are some amazing opportunities that are present for deep growth in both ourselves, but certainly with our relationship with the Lord that can come no, in no other place than those places of struggle. And we're going to talk about that. You know, one of the things that I, we often discuss when we're talking about Christian growth and, and change is that, how sometimes it, it's going to be immediate, and then other times it's going to be very gradual, incremental. And in fact, sometimes it was imperceptible. I mean, we don't even think we're growing. Um, there are <laughs> By the way, just because we don't see the growth doesn't mean like the seed under the ground that it's not happening. It can be. It can happen in fits and stages in ways that often are not seen. Look, Jesus was clear that if we apply ourselves, even a little growth will come. Now, it may, it, it may be only the size of a mustard seed, but Jesus said, All it takes, and He intentionally chose it, is a little mustard seed of faith. Watch what I can do with that. There is something to be said about that. And so, you know, a lot of times we will, we will see transformation occurring. We're not even aware of it. One of the things that I was reminded of that illustrates this point, and I'll just kind of use my family as an example. Some of you are, might, might know that I, why now, if we, Cheryl and I have four grown children now. Um, they are all in their 20s now. My oldest son is along one with the tie. That's Caleb. He's, he's the numero uno of the group. Then it's Chloe. Uh, she's our second born. And then Jacob, our third. And then Aubrey, who's, our, who's the baby, in two weeks turns 21. Like, whoa, what happened? Very fast. Uh, but one of the cool things that Cheryl did about 10 years back is she wanted to, you know, when Caleb was graduating high school, she, she, she put these large pictures up in the hallway. And the large pictures contain little pictures. And again, this is others do this. And, but I want to sh- kind of like show you because it sort of traces this is Caleb's. And we just, I just took a picture of these with the iPhone. So they're not the best quality. they just the glass reflects. But you can see Caleb from kindergarten all the way to 12th grade. Then Chloe, his sister, look, watch, watch her sh- change every year. Yeah, pretty amazing, isn't it? And then Jacob, my youngest son, our youngest son, look, look also specifically at 7 o'clock. Because it's like, what were you doing, son? What was that? You have a finger in a socket. What were you doing, Jacob? And I remember when he came home with that picture, right? He goes, Oh, we all decided we. I said, Jacob. But now, but now it's, it's kind of fun for us to look back on. And then Aubrey, the ba- our, our youngest one, and you can see. One of the things that's interesting here is that, you know, that's over 12 years, right? 12, 13 years. But one year to the next, not that much. It's noticeable. Some now. Some years, just like in our lives, some years you do notice. But for the most part, it's really gradual transformation, isn't it? It's, but yet, that same person is becoming some other version. Aubrey changes along the way. I, I suspect that's exactly what God's trying to do in us. Now, our growth path probably isn't going to look like this. I've never seen it ever look like this. You know what it's going to look like? Uh. Right? It's gonna ha- and there might be times where it goes, it might have times where it flattens out. But the goal is to keep growing. And I want to suggest that even in those times of, of dip, that maybe that creates the opportunity for real development in us. Now, there are two passages in this that we put in the handout that you can look at, two verses that I think will help us. And I'm going to move them fairly rapidly, just to lay the foundation, because I want us to actually talk about what the transformed life looks like, practically speaking. But you can see this in 2 Corinthians 3, uh, verse 17. It says, now the Lord is the spirit. Now watch for the reference to transformation. Now the Lord is the spirit, and when the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. By the way, God is in the freedom business. That's what he does. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Freedom, he came to set, in a way, humanity free. If you Think of it that way. He gave himself as a ransom. He paid the price that we could not pay ourselves. It's about liberty, it's about freedom. It's about the God who loves us so much that he would give himself to pay a price you and I could never pay, so that we could be drawn into a relationship with him that would have everlasting implications. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, that's a reference, by the way, to Moses in the Older Testament, as a whole another path to walk down, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. There it is, being transformed, changed. In the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is a spirit. Paul wants us to understand that as we look on the Lord and truly set our gaze on him, as we sincerely engage God, that we will, we will be transformed into a closer image to one degree of another of what he looks like. In other words, we start to look and act more like him. Because you all know, or at least we should, that we become like the things we worship. And usually, the things that we look at the most is what we're worshiping the most. There is no way to grow with God. I mean, when we, wor- when we sing about God, we sing to him, we sing about him. And this is good to remember this. Every time we do this, we come to church, and we say, oh, I'm singing to God, I'm praising God. You know what? Worship doesn't change God. It changes us. Because remember what I said last week? We, what we confess, we possess. When we speak to him in this way, he becomes that to us. That's the same reason why there's such power in the way we speak to people we love. We, if we use our intimacy as an excuse to demean, to somehow give us more freedom to tear down, then we increase the power of that emotion by articulating it. In the same way, when we speak out love and kindness and tenderness to the people, to the little ones, to the ones we're called in a relationship with, it enhances who they are to us. It's the same principle with God. When I speak to him, when I share my heart, when I sing to him, it, it changes who he is to me, who he is to us. So Paul's talking about that. He's talking about how we're going to look more like him. Now look what he says in Romans, though. Watch, oh, by the way, watch how, and I know it's subtle, but watch how he places more of the emphasis on our role. The first passage in Corinthians was talking about really what God does, and we just look on him. But this one, he now shifts it around. Watch what he does. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, on the basis of God's incredible mercy, I'm inviting you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice That is, as a person who's yielded up, but is still alive. Holy, we talked about, aligned and pure, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What he's getting at, because he brings in the body, he's saying, look, if you really want to know what what kind of worship really impresses God, it's how you live your life. Live your life as if it's worship. Let this faith not just be something that we practice for an hour a week, or even just in our own closet, but seek to find a way to share that out into the arenas of our interactions, our friendships, the people, again, we work with, go to school with, our families. How does it show up there? Are we worshiping God by the way we do our jobs? Does our language reflect that in any way? What does it look like in our lives, this transformation? Look what he says, do not be, this is interesting. Do not be conformed to this world, to this culture. Don't be squeezed, don't be molded, don't be defined. Learn how to live counterculturally. Don't just go with dominant culture, he's saying. Learn how to actually swim against the grain. Don't engage in groupthink, which is what our culture is constantly preaching at us, whether it's San Francisco culture, our nation's culture, Western culture, global culture. It doesn't matter to me. What I'm talking about is Jesus' culture. I'm talking about how he's asking us to think differently. Do not be conformed to this world. But what does he say? Be transformed, ah, changed in a different way, changed by the renewal of your mind, by the way we think. By testing, you may discern what is God's will, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, what does that even look like in our lives? What is this transformational life? What does it mean to pursue it? Here's a couple of things. Put one up first. Number one, it has to do with becoming more of who he wants us to be. It has to do with growing into his likeness. And so it's a process that's going to require, listen, patience, resilience, and trust. Now, we could sit with each of those words. They have great meaning. Patience. Learning how to endure things when it's hard, and not get our attitude corrupted and our faith crippled. How? Learning how to be resilient. Resilience is something that you, could, you come back from something. It doesn't define us. It doesn't beat us down to where all the life is beat out of us. Trust. What does it mean to trust God when everything in us is afraid and feels forsaken? How do we do it? Well, we all prefer, because this is the thing. Jesus-centered life is going to be filled with ups and downs. Life is, period. But it's even true of our faith life. There's going to be mountains. There's going to be valleys. We all prefer the mountaintops, the vistas, the panoramas. I do. I I love getting above the tree line when I go backpacking. I always have. Something about it, the expansiveness of it, the beauty, the grandeur, it makes me want to worship God, the master artist creator of all that I see with its power, force, and beauty. Having said that, I found, as and this has been the case with many a pilgrim of Jesus over the centuries, and it was also true of David in the Psalms, which historically was the prayer book of the church and still is, when he was struggling with despair and discouragement that I've found that a lot of times it's in the dark forest valley, the despairing place, the foreboding place, where the deepest growth usually takes place. Where the most transformational experiences occur is in the dark valley, not the mountaintop. here's a great principle, a couple of sub-principles underneath the first one. Here's the deal. Most growth doesn't take place on the terrain of our choosing. I wish it did. Sun Tzu in his. The, the, the Chinese military genius and author, whose books well read a lot of times in business circles, in his Art of War talked about how one of the principles of succeeding in warfare has to do with choosing the terrain. But here's the deal. <laughs> when it comes to growth and transformation, uh, d- mo- most, growth, most, of our, most of our growth takes place on terrain that we would not have chosen. Because if we were choosing, Our own growth terrain? I know I can say this for sure for myself. (laughs) It would be the terrain of the easy, not of the hard. If I was choosing my own growth terrain, it would be the terrain of happy, (laughs) not sad and afraid. It would be the terrain of euphoria and joy, not of suffering. It would be the terrain of, let me grow on the terrain of pleasure, Lord. Not pain. But the truth is, most most of our growth opportunities, transformation opportunities take place on the terrain we wouldn't have chosen, nor did we see it coming. And yet it is in those precise places, the unwanted terrain. (laughs) where the most profound growth often takes place and we're forced to wrestle with ourselves, our true selves, when the pretense is stripped away and we're hurting enough to be real, honest, and authentic. Now I can wrestle with myself and with God and faith and I can get into places I really couldn't go because I wouldn't want to go there. And that's where God does His work. So not only is, do we not get, do, not only do we not get to choose the train that we would have desired, but it's also going to challenge number two, challenge our our you know faith, our terminology, our uh, self perceptions. Right? They're all going to be changed. What am I talking about? What do you mean? What do you mean? What are you talking about? I'm talking. Okay, I'm talking about when when we're being pressured to grow and change and to transform. Most of us tend to say things like, "Well, this is just the way I am." You know, I got to be real. Other of, us, other of us might say, well, you know, hey, you know what? This is the way my family did it. I'm a product of my upbringing. It's how I was raised. I can't help, that's just me. Or maybe someone's say, well, you know, this is the way I've always done it. I'm used to this. Maybe those of us who are older might go, hey, you know what? I'm older now. I'm more set in my ways. I'm not really that interested in changing. Maybe some of us who are younger might go, hey, that's good, but I don't want to be hemmed in. I don't want to be pressured. I want to have my freedom all legit at some level. Some of us, (laughs) by the way, are younger and we're old souls. Some of us are older and we're young souls. But by and large, the younger we are, listen, the more adventurous and restless Um, we are, and the older we are, or the older we get to be, the more stable we are, but the more risk-averse we become. And that's interesting, And and that's understandable. Why? Because we've lived long enough to know, I don't have that many redos left, do I? Not really. Somehow we think when we're younger, which is probably true most of the time, even if I don't get this right, I got a redo or two left. But I have told my, my own this and those I've loved, and I've tried to tell it to the church I love, better not to have to learn things the hard way. We can. Prodigal must go. I must leave. I cannot stand it in Father's house anymore. It bores me to no end. I need to stretch out. It's OK. But be careful. We can set ourselves back decades or years by being reckless in our restlessness. There is a timing to all things, and most big decisions should not be made in a vacuum, and they certainly should not be made in a God-uninformed way. Having said that, those of us who are older have other issues. We tend to get stuck into a non-growth rut, which (laughs) just happens sometimes. But one of the things I've realized is that when we really come to think about following Jesus, it really is, a, it's, it's not meant to be boring. It's not just meant to be a religious thing that we do habitually. Like, you know, I did that, you know. It doesn't really connect with anything I'm doing in real life, but hey, I did it. I put in my time. Ah, <laughs> no, no, it is meant to be an adventure of faith and growth. It calls us to to exploration and transformation. It invites us to be lifelong learners and to be able to deepen our faith life, to open up new growth fronts in our lives that weren't there before, to start challenging things in ways we would have. When it's working right, there's nothing like it. It's it's unmatched. It's awesome. But unfortunately, or fortunately, the pathway sometimes to breakthrough comes through a little bit of difficulty and pain and tough things. And so here it is. Number two, transformation will often involve struggle and embracing limitation. Oftentimes, it's pain and weakness that propels us into seasons of transformation because it creates the necessary openness. C.S. Lewis, the great writer, thinker, the one who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, and many other amazing books that have just been extraordinarily capable of being relevant to generations one after the other, even in these times such as ours, even in our postmodern times, his writings still have an amazing capacity to connect. Part of it, and people have pondered why, but one of the things he said was pain is often God's megaphone. He put, I put this quote up from his book called The Problem of Pain, which helped me. He says, we can ignore our pleasure, look at this, but pain insists upon us being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. God, think about it, it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And this man knew loss. He never planned on getting married. Later in his life, he actually ended up getting married, much to his surprise, because he planned on not being married. Thought That was his path. He ends up getting married to a lady, I believe, named Joy Davidson. And she ended up getting really sick. And she ended up dying. And he had to work through that. In fact, his book called A Grief Observed, which has helped many a soul in deep pain and question, was his attempt to get out of the maddening midnight hour that he found himself in devastated, wondering why I should have ever loved if it was going to end like this with such pain for me. And where are you, God, in all of this? See? Someone a few months ago who was very, he was very close to me. Actually, it's an understatement. I'll say is my mother. Okay, so she's really, really very he's very close to me, I'm very close to her. Um, she she said, "Here, I have this for you." And in her 70s, it's interesting. She went. I am sharing in in very non-disrespectful fashion, and I know I would have her permission to say this, but she, in her middle of her years, got off course in terms of her faith life. But she came back to the Lord in a more wonderfully, to me, beautiful, growing way in her late 60s and now into her 70s. She's heading. But she was walking with me through this, and she said, you know, I want to I share with you something I read in a devotional. I said, Mom, that's great. I love that. What is it? I'll look at it. Let me see it. So I read it. Now, it's from a best-selling book that, you know, it's a devotional. that's very, very popular. It's called Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. This particular page I looked at, and initially, I thought, oh, yeah, thank you. Many people offer me things. But I actually took a picture. Because I said, you know what? This spoke to me. And look what she said. Who, look at this, he says, when when you are plagued by a persistent problem, we're talking about ones that go on and on and on. So there are some problems that will come and go. There are other ones that, man, they are relentless. It's like, it's the relentlessness of it. Other people don't know because it's not a crisis. It's just a relentless problem that doesn't go away. She says, when you're plagued by a persistent problem, one that goes on and on, and it can be known. It doesn't mean that it isn't. She said, but this is a a paradigm shift. View it as a rich opportunity. What? And I'll tell you, initially it was hard for me because I was going, I don't want to do that. I want to be unhappy about what is causing me pain. View it as a rich opportunity. An ongoing problem is like a tutor who is always by your side. The learning possibilities, the transformational possibilities are limited only by your willingness to be teachable. And she kind of personifies Jesus in this particular spot. She says, in faith, thank me for your problem. Wow. What? Yeah, because it's an opportunity to know me, to know yourself, to grow deeper. You have such a learning opportunity. Your emotions, this is what I would add. In those places, our emotions are so real, honest, and authentic. One of the side benefits is is the rawness of our feelings that are such a gift to us. And we learn to think about who I really am. What does my walk with Jesus really mean to me? See, this is a lot of what we're talking about. So if I can, and I'll just kind of flip it and put it this way. uh, Transformation number three comes, and it's connected. When it's connected to Christ, just quick, it will fuel, all right? It will fuel us with possibility and opportunity, just like what we just read. It just fuels it. Um, All those learning opportunities. It's like one of my favorite pieces of a poem from Robert Browning Hamilton, he said, I walked a mile with pleasure, she chattered all the way, leaving me none the wiser, with all that she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow. Never a word said she, but all the things I learned from her as sorrow walked with me." There's something about that, the learning mechanism. Why? What is it? Because <laughs> that's the fertile ground for breakthrough. That's the fertile ground for the development of a real harvest. It doesn't mean that we should go, I can't wait to have a problem. <laughs> nor should we say, I can't wait to have pain. No, I, I want to bring on the subject. I would never say that, ever. Nor would should any of us. But when it happens, what do we do? How are we going to get through this in Christ? How are we going to take it from a negative, which it is, and see what God can do through his grace at work in our lives? How do we wrestle with things and see breakthrough? Last thing we'll say about it is this. It's going to require courage. Transformation will call out courage. And by the way, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage requires fear. We only have courage when we have fear. It's okay to be afraid. God is with us. So we may say, be not afraid, for I am with you. God is my help in time of trouble. Sometimes we need to just reaffirm a verse in our heart, in our mind, in a season. We say, uh, God will never leave me nor forsake me. So we may say with confidence, Hebrews 13, 5, that God is my helper. I will not be afraid. For What can man do to me? So, for some of us, courage is going to look like starting for the first time to make a commitment, step out of square one, if you will, and take a leap of faith and let the resurrection power of Jesus begin to emerge in our lives. That's a step. That's that takes courage to do that. Some of us, courage is going to look like, you know what, we're going to up our game in terms of following Jesus, because. Maybe it's time for us to declare ourselves for him and as one of his, regardless of whatever else happens, to decide that maybe I, maybe I, my next transformation is going to come when I decide I'm going to quit dabbling and actually go for it. And I'm going to make it a priority in my life to grow this year with Christ. For others of us, it might have to do with being courageous enough to get out of a rut that we've got ourselves stuck in. That means i got to rearrange the room in some way I've been doing this over and over and over again, but I need some new light to, uh, to fire. Needs need some oxygen. To, the room needs to be repainted. Move the carpet. Rearrange it. Buy something. Do something different to create something different. Bring a new person into our lives. Get involved in a new group. Extend ourselves in different ways. Carve out time. I don't know what it is. For some of us, the last thing I'll say about it, this is going to be our year of amazing healing and breakthrough. This is when God does some stuff, even through the ugly stuff, that we've been hoping and praying for. This is, remember, not all year is the same. Some of them are tough. Some of them are destined for breakthrough in God. May he bring to us, may we say, Lord, have your way in our lives. May we say that? Do amazing things in us and through us, Lord. And when we're at our lowest, Lord, do your most amazing work, amazing grace. Show up. When I'm at my least capable, show yourself strong on my behalf, and the glory will go to no man but to the Lord. So we may say this. My weakness is not, and in fact, I am going to invite you to say it with me after I say it. My weakness is not a limitation. It's an invitation. My weakness is not a limitation. It's an invitation. Say with me, My weakness, if you want. My weakness is not a limitation. It's an invitation, an invitation for the grace of God to show up in our lives in amazing ways. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your words, which are good words for us. I pray that as we move in, even to the next phase, we'll begin to move into this idea of refocusing ourselves in practical ways, that the groundwork that we have laid will have benefit for us and i realize that some change is profound and others is incremental but the bottom line is this i welcome your grace to show up especially in the places of limitation so we ask for your blessing bless our time of giving as we do this together as a church and i pray for the closing song that it would sort of like put the energetic exclamation point behind everything we've just shared this is what i ask continue your good work in all of us in jesus name i pray amen